podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to episode 32 of the Dishonomics podcast. Firstly, a big shout out to people who listened to the previous one. Ari, the differences in local economies in the UK. So that's why people in London are deemed as more productive and get paid a lot more than people in, let's say, London and Manchester. And how changing from a manufacturing industry to a service-based industry has really affected people's prosperities in certain regions. So check that out. Not a lot of politicians are talking about that, but I think it's important for us to know. However, episode 32 is going to be an episode kind of more on basic economic theory. And this is with regards to monopolies and competition. I'm sure quite a few of us have heard the word monopoly before. I would like to believe we've all heard the word competition before. So this is kind of explaining how different industries have different levels of competition within them and how it affects the consumer and the businesses themselves. However, prior to this, I want to give a few definitions just in case um, the listeners may not be aware. So you may hear me reference barriers to entry or barriers to exit. Barriers to... A barrier to entry are obstacles that prevent new businesses entering the market. So let's say we all together wanted to enter, I don't know, the telephone industry. There may be obstacles that may stop us. So let me give you a few examples of barriers to entry. You may have some companies may have tax benefits, which enables them to operate at a higher profit rate and dominate the market. For example, Apple recently, it might be this year or last year, I can't remember, got a massive fine from the EU due to their like, kind of uh, wing-wing tax deal with, with Ireland. You have brand loyalty. So many of us correlate the certain brands that we just ride for no matter what. Apple has that, Nike, Adidas, maybe Mac Makeup, um, Coca-Cola, Supermold for me and Endomi. They're my brand loyalty. Um, we've also got high consumer switching costs or when it's difficult to switch between products. So an example of a product that's quite hard to switch in between is telephone lines unless you reach the end of your contract or bank accounts. It's quite, it's a bit more tricky. Just You can't just up and leave Barclays or join Halifax at a snap of a finger. Like you can stop buying a can of Coke and go buy a can of Pepsi instead. And there's also barriers to exit. These are a bit more complex. So they're usually um, within industry where there's highly specialised assets are quite hard to, you know, kind of get rid of. And then where you have to write off a bunch of assets or you have to, let's say, closure costs and stuff like that. And the final definition I want to do is elasticity of demand. Elasticity is basically how susceptible, how susceptible one variable is to another. And when you put in price elasticity of demand, that is how susceptible price is in relation to demand levels. So... If it's elastic, if it's very e- price elastic, that means if the price changes quite a lot, so let's say the cost of Hovis bread went up from, let's say, £1.20 per loaf to £10, the demand will drop significantly because the price has gone up and then we could just go and buy a, a different slice of, a different brand of bread. Or if it went down to, let's say, 1p, then loads of us will buy it. So the price has a very significant impact on the level of demand. 
And on the flip side, you have inelastic. So if a good or service is priced inelastic in terms of demand, that means that even if there's a significant change in price, the level of consumption, the level of demand still remains relatively unfazed or less unfazed as it should do. For example, this is petrol. If petrol goes up by 5%, the, um, the demand levels isn't going to change dramatically because petrol is a necessity and people need petrol for transportation, whether it's getting to work, getting their family about or doing business. So those are a quick few definitions. So I'm going to break down three and a half, I'll explain why it's half later, different levels of competition in a particular industry. I'm going to start off with the most idealistical one, perfect competition. Perfect competition is like meant to be the perfect world economically where we, let's say we have an industry where firms sell an, an identical product. So let's say it is, I don't know, work jackets. And there is loads of these companies that sell work jackets. They don't really have a high market share. And they their products are not exactly identical, but they're pretty similar and consumers got plenty of choice. Companies in this industry in a perfect competition industry so the, the, the suit jacket makers or jacket makers as i said are price takers they don't have real influence on the price they just take the price because they don't have that much impact or sway in the industry as i said they all have a relatively low market share so let's say for example there's five hundred thousand different jacket makers so none of them really dominate the market we, we can have loads of those in fact you can even think of those local corner shops, you know the ones, especially the Londoners can relate, that are almost 24 hours, they they can fix your phone, sell you meat, sell you vegetables, sell you plantain, get alcohol, your cigarettes, your newspapers, your sweets. You can literally, they're all purpose shops. We have tons of those in London, especially in certain areas. They're almost like that. And not one of them is dominating the whole London industry is because there's too many of them about it, especially in the, especially in the ends. So as I say, yeah. And also they have free reign to enter and exit the market. So they can come into the market, chop and dip as well as much as they please. And buyers, so us the consumers, we have perfect information. When economists say perfect information, they, they mean that we have as much information in the market and the industry as possible, which enables us to make the most rational consumption decisions. So we all have the best information. So we know, okay, cool. Um, this is jacket makers. They're really good for people for six foot four guys, but cuss cut jacket makers are really good for short people. You know what I mean? That type of nonsense. The companies in this industry they earn enough to operate, so they earn enough. They make enough profit that they can still operate, still produce, still reinvest, and still pay their their members of staff. But not enough that they're dominating. That they just have a crazy balance sheet, like um Apple, for example. I'll say the closest we have is the agricultural industry. So there's loads of small businesses, small farms, what, what have you not. They don't alter the price. The price is market um, market defined due to demand and supply. The commodity, the commodity traders, so people who trade agricultural stocks, are clued up. They do their research. They do their Googles. However, there are barriers of entry because even though you can, if you really wanted to, um, have a company that produces these things but obviously you need to have the land and whatnot for agriculture mm, the correct um, what's it called weather conditions so that's perfect competition that's more of the ideal idealistic state of affairs in a, in in an industry so now more the middle ground it's called a monopolistic competition 
Many men. I was about to sing the 50 Cent song. Many men. I have no idea. I have no idea why I dropped it down many men. Many of these companies in this industry offer goods or services that are fairly similar but not perfect substitutes. So let's say one person offers like a nice orange drink, another person's a nice raspberry drink. Don't the exact same drink with the exact same ingredients, exact same packaging, whatnot. So there's there's many products, but they're not perfect substitutes, but they are fairly similar. The barriers to entry and exit are fairly low. So it's not hard for people to gain into the industry and leave the industry as they please. So you are always likely to get levels of competition because there's not there's nothing stopping well there's there's relative low barriers stopping new competition coming in and impacting the market what one company does has a low impact on the rest of the of the mandem so let's say we're talking about uh, my headphone company and i the headphone companies there's mon- there's monopolistic competition going on there's loads of different headphone makers and i want to change how the, the method of how i produce my you know my headphones or the design that might not have a massive impact on the market or how I do my price. Similar to perfect competition, they all have a similar degree of market power, which is low. However, instead of being price takers, like I'd mentioned in perfect competition, in in monopolistic competition, the firms in this industry are price makers. So they have power to set their price. So... You can have some companies that go low, and so they when I say go low, they have a lower price, so the, the margin of profit, so that's the difference between how much it costs you to produce and how much you're selling it for. The, that profit margin is low, but they do it this way. They implement this strategy so they can increase their sales. So they reduce their profit margin, hoping to get massive amounts of sales. That way, they make money off the increase in revenue and sales. Whereas some, so like for example of like a company like that is, let's say maybe the likes of the Poundland, the 99p store, said so are loads of products for dirt cheap, but they may make the money off the level of output in terms of sales. Or you may think about, or the opposite of this is like, you may say in, in, a, mon- in a monopolistic competitive industry, though I can't speak, we're going to go for the more, you know, bad and bougie type industry. Type, type clientele, the art market, the YMCMBs, a bit more art market, sophisticated products and consumers. For almost every single product, you have this level of of, um, of good and service. So with cars, it'll be your Bentleys. With clothes, it'll be your Louis V's. Even with headphones, you have like the Dre Beats or the Sennheisers that are like two, three hundred pounds. Trainers, you might have your Margillas or whatnot. Like there's all different types of goods and services that have they operate they offer different pricing strategies. In a monopolistic competitive industry, there's often heavy marketing because price shares low. You want to be able to capture your customers and set yourself apart. You different companies do different stuff for the prices as well as their packaging. So maybe stuff like cereal companies or especially food. If you look at the food industry, if you go down your aisle in Asda, you see or Asda or Tesco or whatnot, you see all the packagings tends to be quite vibrant, colourful. They're trying to set themselves apart. As I said, there's not enough... One firm does not have enough influence in the market in terms of decision-making to move the needle in the industry. And in terms of price price elasticity in demand, it's very elastic. 
So if you change, oh, sorry, I should mention this in both competitions, the same. Let's say, for example, like you have a product and then you decided to boost the price on a mad one. So let's say it's Coke and you want to put your can of Cokes now go from, I think it's like 65, 70p per can to let's say £1.40, got about 100%. You will see people start to turn to Dr Pepper or Pepsi instead or any other beverage or might just buy a soft drink period. So that's something to note in terms of perfect monopolistic competition. And the opposite end of the spectrum from perfect competition is a monopoly. And I'm sure many of us have heard this term before. This is where one firm is dominating the market, stepping on next, got the market in a headlock. There are no restraints and regulations. So a single, there's no rule restraints and regulations. So a single group or company can just run the thing. An example of this, which we most of us, especially us Londoners, correlate to, is Uber. There wasn't really any rules or regulations in this industry. Uber came in and took a stranglehold. Approximately 3 million Londoners are signed up to Uber, which is probably about 30-40% of the population, which is bonkers. So, if you look at Uber, there's no real competitors. The minicab industry is kind of dying. And you, can't, and you don't have that same app usability as you do with Uber. Addison Lee doesn't have enough drivers. You try to order Addison Lee, man will tell you he's coming in two hours. We ain't know we got time for that. And obviously, Addison Lee is a bit more pricey. Most people don't use black cabs. Black cabs tends to be for maybe tourists in a city or, or professionals who work in a city region. But a lot of professionals are now using Uber due to its easy accessibility. Uber is dominating the market. And with Uber dominating the market, there has their downfalls. Whereas, so they can offer more of a shoddy service because you don't have a viable competitor. So for example, if Sky are messing around with your broadband, you know you can go to BT, Talk Talk, or Virgin, for example. With Uber, you don't really have another option. So that's why we see the whole TFL fiasco they're not apparently being safe with... Um, they're not reporting um, issues with sexual harassment of all types of madness. A lot of people complain about drivers taking wrong routes, not allowed to speak English, etc. And they can get away with it simply because there's no competition. Well, up until now, but they'll probably get away with it. We usually have antitrust laws and regulators to protect consumers from these type of... from these type from the Ubers of the world, allegedly. I'm sure you've all heard of Ofcom and things like that. That's kind of there to help protect the consumer. As I said, the dangers of monopoly is that there's no choice, and they could charge higher. They could charge higher prices for lower quality of goods because if you have no other option, but the producer, the monopoly, the monopolistic com- um, company, they could up the price by twelve percent, but you still have to go. For example, the price of TFL, the price of TFL is going up and up and up. But guess what? We have no option. So what do we do? We keep going. We keep on going. Millions and millions of Londoners use TFL every day because we have no other option, despite the price. The price is going up. Is the quality of service going up? Probably not. But it's what it is. Another example of this is when the NHS um, auctions, auctions parts of its business off, um, parts of its practice off to private um, contractors. So let's say, for example, it's IVF. And if you listen to episode 14, quick plug, with Dr. Lee, we have a very, very great in-depth discussion about the NHS, the different alternatives, why the NHS as it is is not going to work long-term. Please, please check that out. That's a bad boy podcast. And it's very, very eye-opening. A lot of things you believe about the NHS is not true. 
So I come from the economic aspects and Dr. Lee comes from the actual being a doctor aspect and he, does, and he knows his economics as well. But anyway, as I said, the NHS are an example of this. So let's say you've got an IVF. So NHS outsources IVF treatments, right? A group of people or companies, shall I say, bid for this um, um, part of the of the hospital. And let's say my company wins. Once my company wins and I win this contract on a 20-year basis, it's a 20-year contract, I have no competition for 20 years. It is only me that is in the industry. So really, what incentive do I have? Remember, I always say incentive drives behavior. What incentive do I have to offer high-quality service slash product? I don't. I don't really have one unless I'm morally inclined to. I could offer the cheapest possible service to maximize my profit simply because there is no other alternative so that's one of the dangers of of monopolies also they can fix the supply and demand in the industry but they can manipulate it and they could block the new entrance i'm sure um, some of you may have heard of back in the days if anyone used to try to challenge microsoft their man just gobbled your company up one time they're blocking you you ain't coming in the industry no way even facebook to a certain extent they tried they swallowed instagram one time swallowed whatsapp they tried to swallow Snapchat. Snapchat weren't having it. So they're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is what you man are on? All right, cool, Instagram stories, boom. Slap a couple of photos on that. It was peak. It was peak. And as I mentioned, they could mess around if they want the quality of good or service and people are still going to buy because there's no other option. In a monopoly, in a, in a monopoly industry, price elasticity is inelastic because we have no other alternative apart from this sole provider of the good or service in question. There's also um, duopolies and oligopolies. A duopoly is when there's like two main firms in the industry dominating. So an example of this is Apple and Android. They dominate the um, smartphone industry and Visa and MasterCard, they dominate the payments industry. Many of us have got a Visa or a MasterCard and everybody here has probably got an Apple or Android phone. And if you don't, then buy. Um, Oligopoly is when there's a plethora of like companies, like not plethora, that's a bit. There's a few companies that they're in the industry and they dominate together. And sometimes they may collude together to fix prices. So I think a few years back, an example of this is our mobile network providers. So we've got Free, we've got Vodafone, we've got EE, which was one-to-one that went to be T-Mobile for the old people, five-day pass. So one-to-one, no, T-Mobile and EE and Orange combined. We have O2, I said Vodafone, I said Free. We even have Tesco Mobile now, Sky Mobile. Like, we've got a few companies. And a few years back, um, there was, I think there was punishment when Vodafone and a few others were caught colluding. And I think airlines maybe as well. So those examples of oligopolies. So yeah, so that's a quick economic tutorial for you guys with regards to different levels of competition in industries and how it affects us, the consumer and businesses. I hope you enjoyed. Please, 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 if you listen to my podcast and Apple Podcasts, just um, go to my um, podcast profile, scroll to the bottom and just slap a quick five stars. All you do is press five stars. It helps boost my rating, makes me look lit. We give glory to God. If you listen on SoundCloud... Please retweet the post, 
so other people could see who following your feed or like or whatnot. Or in fact, just follow me on SoundCloud. This is not makes on SoundCloud if you listen to this via Apple Podcasts or if you listen to this via SoundCloud. This is not makes on Apple Podcasts. And there's been some technical difficulties, for lack of a better term, with my um, Twitter at the moment. I'm trying to sort that out. So hopefully, I get that sorted out for you, so I can, you can still see my tweets about economics and all that stuff and promoting all what I do. But I created a backup in the meantime. So it's Dysonomics, but a one instead of the original I. And there'll be a link to that on the description of this podcast. So you can see it in SoundCloud or in iTunes. But yeah, thank you for listening. And I hope to I hope you enjoyed this episode. God bless. Scrap. Sports Social Podcast Network.